Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day, and Merry Christmas to all of you. Busy, busy week as Congress rushes to get things done before their holiday break. We're going to be talking about trade with Angela Hoffman, co-director of Farmers for Free Trade. We'll talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. And we're going to talk with Ray Atkinson with the American Farm Bureau Federation, how Farm Bureau and others are are trying to help farmers deal with stress uh, in, in a very challenging year of 2019. Farming stressful anytime, but especially in a year like this. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program. And I also want to mention that a congressional agreement to fund the government for fiscal 2020 has been reached, which would include $1.5 billion in disaster relief for farmers hit by this year's bad weather, and also a tax package that would uh, revive the dollar-a-gallon tax credit for biodiesel and renewable diesel and extend it through 2022. Those are a couple of things we'll be talking a lot about later in the week. But joining us now is Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Big news, of course, is it looks like we're very close to that phase one trade deal with China. Jake, thank you for joining us. What can you tell us uh, what's in this package? So what's in the package now is we have some commitments on intellectual property, technology transfer, the part that's very important to your listeners, agriculture, which I think was one of the big winners in the agreement, financial services liberalization on China's side. There's going to be some focus on currency uh, manipulation and ensuring that there's stability there going forward. Then there's a big component on expanding trade. This is the purchases piece that we've heard about. Now, what can you tell us there? A lot of speculation about what they'll be purchasing. Yeah, that's right. So when we've looked at the U.S., so there is a bit of a a difference between what the U.S. has announced and what we've seen the Chinese announce. On the U.S. side, um, there's a focus both on structural removal of non-tariff barriers in China, which prohibits certain U.S. agricultural products from entering the market. What the U.S. government has told us is that that covers seafood products, meat, poultry, rice, dairy, infant formula, horticultural products, animal feed, feed additives, pet food, and products of agriculture biotechnology, which, as you know, uh, biotech event approvals in China have been delayed, which has limited some of the scope of the agricultural foodstuffs that could be exported to China. Unfortunately, what we haven't seen is the same level of detail from the Chinese side. What the Chinese have focused on is the U.S. import ban on uh, poultry has been lifted, They've talked about selling additional pears, oranges, and dates into the U.S. market. They have indicated that they would do additional purchases of U.S. agricultural products, including pork, poultry, wheat, corn, and rice. But they haven't talked in the same granularity about the purchase numbers that the U.S. has. As as you and your listeners are probably aware, uh, the U.S. has announced $200 billion in purchases over the 2017 numbers um, over a two-year period. So a big part of that would have to be agricultural products. So we haven't seen the Chinese uh, echo that sentiment, so we're, we're hopeful for additional details in the weeks uh, ahead. We're talking with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake, how concerned or skeptical should we be about China living up to 
the agreement once it is signed? So I think that that's a, a fair question, and ultimately the U.S. government and the Chinese have agreed to a dispute resolution mechanism, or, or what you might call an enforcement mechanism, that would allow for each side to raise issues at the working level that could then be escalated to the deputies' level, that would then be escalated to the principals' level, the Ambassador Lighthizer, Secretary Mnuchin, Vice Premier Liu He, and that can be accelerated very quickly. So if one side feels the other side is not implementing faithfully on their commitments, then that side can raise it quickly. And if it's still not addressed, then there's punitive action that can be taken. What we've heard from the U.S. side is this would be proportionate, so it would hopefully limit any kind of full-scale new tariff implementation across the board and would hopefully allow for very specific responses when challenges arise. A lot of excitement on the agricultural side uh, for this deal. As you look at it overall, from what you can see now, does it look like a good deal? Look, I'd say it this way. This, as a deal, puts a floor under the further deterioration of the bilateral relationship. It hits pause on the December 15 tariffs that were scheduled to go into effect across a number of significant consumer products. Uh, it, it also allows the two sides to return to a more constructive, engaged environment. It's going to lead to some purchases of U.S. agriculture and other goods. All of that is positive. It doesn't address everything. And frankly, we're going to need to see the text agreed to by both parties in English and Chinese before we assess the full scope. Uh, but I would say that we're cautiously optimistic that this is going in the right direction and allows the two sides to now build confidence as they go into discussing the more difficult structural issues in the relationship in phase two and beyond. Obviously, time will tell, and it'll take some time, but do you think what has happened this past year with this trade war, does it have long-lasting implications when it comes to global trade? It does. It's a big question, and it's difficult to understand the full ripples of this uh, over the medium and long term. But I think one thing that, that we can likely assume is that regardless of who the next president is, uh, that it will be extremely difficult for that person to uh, resist the temptation of utilizing tariffs in some way in the future. The genius somehow has, has unfortunately escaped the bottle. Uh, I think that there's also been more of a focus in this administration on a bilateral mechanism and taken some of the, the wind out of the multilateral institution sales. Uh, that is also likely to have an impact on future negotiations in the future. So there are some concerning trends that have emerged uh, because of the U.S.-China bilateral trade conflict that are likely to resonate for, for years, decades to come. It often comes down to this in, in these kind of negotiations, um, but is there enough in this deal as you see it now for both sides to, to claim a victory? It's difficult to know for sure until we see the specific details written in text. Um, but from what we've seen, uh, that, that's part of the problem, actually, why we haven't seen as much detail on the Chinese side, because, frankly, they're being asked to do more because the U.S. market is uh, comparatively more open than the Chinese market, uh, which is one of the reasons why perhaps they've, they've shared less of the detail with their domestic audience so they don't appear like they're looking like they're capitulating to the United States or signing an unequal treaty, something that they're very sensitive to in the China market. So, so there are things here that the Chinese want as well. As you saw, we've, we've granted market access for Chinese poultry imports. We've got catfish imports that are now allowed from China as well. Uh, so there are successes for them, but it, it's definitely a little bit more on uh, the U.S. side in terms of balance. And you think ethanol will be a big part of this? 
We, we sure hope so, ethanol and then DDG uh, as well. And when we talk to folks that are involved in the negotiations, they do indicate that this is one of their top priorities. We haven't seen ethanol announced in the initial fact sheet, uh, but to meet the kind of numbers that the U.S. and China are talking about, ethanol would be a, a big, important part of that. So, so we're certainly hopeful. That's Jake Parker, Senior Vice President, U.S.-China Business Council. Jake, always appreciate your perspective. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, sir. All right, stay with us. Much more to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. We know the holiday time of year can bring about uh, uh, stress, uh, put stress on people, and we know that agriculture has stress that goes with it year-round, and especially in a year like 2019 with the weather challenges and the trade wars and a lot of issues that have just made this a very difficult year. So as farmers are dealing with that stress and farm families are dealing with that stress, uh, the American Farm Bureau Federation is trying to help farmers with this. Ray Atkinson with the American Farm Bureau Federation joins us now. And, Ray, thank you for being with us. Uh, how do you hope to be able to, to lend a helping hand to those dealing with these stressful times? Well, Mike, uh, thank you for having us on, having me on. Um, as you as you correctly pointed out, I mean, it, this year is just a perfect storm of all the issues that are hitting farmers and ranchers, and it's obviously very, very stressful. And so we've been for some time looking at ways that we could find to uh, to help people manage and understand and manage the, um, the stress that they're under. So this week we announced um, a, uh, a partnership that we're working with Farm Credit and National Farmers Union on uh, offering a, a training program that will train individuals that interact with farmers and ranchers to to do just that, to understand the sources of stress and to help people find resources to manage them. This is a curriculum that was developed by Michigan State University Extension for Farm Service Agency, and it's been very successful. Farmers are often reluctant to reach out and seek help or to, to publicly acknowledge in any way that they're dealing with, with stress. Uh, so it, it really puts more uh, emphasis on those around them to watch for signs that indicate maybe some trouble and uh, reach out to them. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, one of the things, Mike, that we looked at when we did our research uh, back in April um, we all we're all aware of, of farmers kind of being uh, private and not wanting to talk about things. And we did the research to ask farmers and to ask folks what they what they thought. And um, 
there was a couple things that really jumped out that um, farmers were two times more likely than rural deltas in general to not be comfortable talking to a friend or family member about solutions for mental health condition. And they're also less likely than rural adults as a whole to be confident that they'd be able to spot warning signs of a mental health condition. And so you're absolutely right. It's it's so important, um, especially, and I don't think it's just limited to farmers, that when uh, folks are suffering from stress, they may not want to reach out and tell people about it. So that it's up to us to to be able to identify that and to find ways to help. Because the tendency is, and human nature is, especially, I think, uh, with farmers, to just kind of put your head down and just work your way through it, and you'll be able to, you'll be able to get through it somehow uh, without getting any help, and that may not be the case. Yeah, that's definitely not the case, and there's certainly um, nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, we know stigma is such a big part of this, and and uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of for asking for help, and and it's very very important. I mean, you think about, we like to use the analogy that if your tractor is is having, uh, you know, issues, and you and you need to perform maintenance on your on your farm equipment, you're certainly going to do that. But you're the most important piece of equipment on your farm, and if you you know you have to be able to uh, perform well and and to be in good shape yourself, and so it's it's really really important that people understand that you know you take care of yourself first we're talking with ray atkinson with the american farm bureau federation ray there's always stress that goes with farming this year just seems to have had more than its share and while some farmers may have gone through these tough times before others this may be the first time they've gone through a year like this that's absolutely right and you know, I'm not sure which is which is worse. Honestly, somebody's been through it year after year after year, and maybe even experienced it during the '80s, or somebody who's experiencing for the first time. I mean, certainly, um, whichever side you're on, there, uh, it, it's bad and and uh, and it's stressful. And um, you know, it's it's just so important that we look to folks and and help you know understand where they're where they're struggling and be able to help. And I think. You, you you correctly you know said that you know the, how important that is because I think um, again you know we had um, and when we had had worked on the opioid issue for example we had kind of thought at first that we would just need people to talk about uh, you know their struggles more and we realized people don't really want to talk about their struggles but so it became you know farmers help farmers when somebody's got uh, a harvest coming in and, and they're sick or something, people come out and help them. And so we need to use the same the same resources here to really help people uh, look to their neighbor and try and see what they can do to help them. And we all deal with stress in different ways. Uh, that doesn't make one way right or wrong, but uh, the fact you just have to, you do have to deal with it and, and, uh, oftentimes that might just mean talking with someone and sh- sharing with someone, and uh, that may be the biggest step right there. That's absolutely true. Um, on our, we uh, put together a, uh, a web page, <clears throat> excuse me, that has resources for uh, uh, stress and mental health, and it's fb.org/ruralresilience. Uh, we're using the, the term rural resilience because we know farmers are strong and. And, uh, and and we think it's positive. We think, you know, all these things that we're doing to help address it is positive. Um, but one of the things that we have on there is five steps to help someone at risk. 
and it's from the National Institute of Mental Health. And I think it's so important, and it's very, very simple. And step one is ask. Step two, keep them safe. Step three, and I think maybe the most important is be there. Step four, help them connect. And step five, follow up. But just being there for somebody and just being willing to listen is probably the most important thing that we can do. We mentioned it's hard, uh, say, for a farmer to uh, seek help, but it's also hard for those around them sometimes to offer help because you don't want to you don't want to be pushy, you don't want to cross any lines. Uh, so it's kind of a it's it's a challenge to show support without being real pushy at the same time and and uh, feel like you're crossing some kind of lines or boundaries. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think, and again, just being there for somebody. If you've got a, you know, if it's a, if it's a, particularly a family member or a really close friend, I mean, they will most likely open up to you. But if they don't, you know, we're all, we don't, we don't know what to say. And sometimes just saying to somebody, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to say. So, but I want to, I want to help you. Maybe that's sometimes the best thing you can do. And just watch for uh, behavior that's different than normal, right? Uh, if they're more withdrawn or more quiet than usual or just acting differently that might be a sign absolutely and on the on the the website i mentioned org slash rural resilience we have uh warning signs of stress and they're very specific to farmers it's from uh new york farm net and it's things like changes in routines uh, people stop attending regular meetings or religious activities or drop out of groups or don't show up at the coffee shop um, decline in the care of domestic animals, increase of illness, which is not really something you think about when people have more colds and flus or other chronic conditions. You know, a lot of this is uh, tied to sleep. I mean, uh, stress leads to loss of sleep, which leads to a lot of other things like illnesses. And uh, Another one's increase in farm accidents, um, decline in appearance of the farmstead, signs of stress in children, um, and decreased interest, maybe being less willing to commit to future activities or sign up for gatherings or show interest in community events. So those are things that you know. I encourage everybody to to look at that at that list, um, fb.org/ruralresilience, and really think about are, you, are we seeing signs of those things in in our friends or or even in ourselves? You know. Yeah, that's a good point. We all we need to kind of look at ourselves as well as watch others around us and 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 take care of each other. Again, the, those uh, give us those websites and those places for resource material, Ray. Yes, it's fb.org/ruralresilience, and that's where you'll find um, we have uh, links to the, or the the list of the warning signs of stress, the five signs to help someone at risk. There's a link and numbers for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's also links to our research that we did with Morning Consult in April on farmer mental health um, and some other. There's also a link there to the information about our training program, which we're offering this um, January at our annual convention to our, our state farm bureaus. Very good. Ray, thank you very much for the information. We appreciate it. Good to talk with you, Mike. Take care. Ray Atkinson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. After posting solid gains to begin the week, the grains at the Board of Trade relaxing just a bit on this Tuesday. We've still got a firm performance, though, underway in soybeans. Corn is near unchanged. Chicago wheat one to two and a fraction higher. Grain and oil seed prices rose on Monday as traders digested President Trump's trade deal with China, which U.S. officials said includes a pledge for major purchases of American farm products. March corn extended higher on Monday, marking the third consecutive session in a row of advances. An hour into Tuesday's trade, March corn up a half cent at 388 and three quarters. On the upside, March corn bulls face resistance and targets at 392 and a quarter, the November 8th high, then $4 a bushel, the November 1st high. In soybeans, January up three and a quarter at 925 and a quarter, March 938 and a half up two and a half cents. In the wheats, Chicago March up two and a half at 552 and a quarter, Kansas City wheat March up three and a quarter at 465 and a quarter, Minneapolis spring wheat March up two at 539. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, February down 12 cents, 127.12. April down 7 cents at 127.85. Feeder cattle, January contract up 77 at $146 per hundredweight. March up 72 at 146.32. Lean hog futures, February down 57 cents, 69.92 after Monday's advances. On Wall Street, the Dow up 32. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, 2019 has certainly been a challenging year for trade, but it looks like the year is finishing up a lot better than it has started out or been throughout much of the year. And let's talk about it with Angela Hoffman, co-director of Farmers for Free Trade. Angela, thank you for joining us. It's been quite a year, but we have some positive things happening here at the end of the year. Well, we sure do, Mike, and this is an exciting time. I think we're about to see a big trade vote with a great bipartisan effort this morning, and uh, things like China are calming down. So I think we're going to wrap up 2019 in much better shape than we started the year. On USMCA, there was kind of that last-minute concern with Mexico, but it 
uh, some things seem to be resolved there, so we look, all things seem to be go now? You know, I think we had some last-minute discussions with our, our trading partners. That's always par for the course with these deals. Um, but it appears that's resolved, and we're all just on deck. I think we're going to see a vote in the next hour here in the Ways and Means Committee. That's a trade subcommittee that has oversight over the first stage of this vote. And if all goes right, you know, I think we're going to see a vote on the floor um, on Thursday. Well, it's been a year of, you know, where we've talked about this and discussed this over and over and over. What finally brought it together, you think? You know, I have to give farmers credit. This is one of those things where, and we've talked about it this whole year, this is not a spectator sport. And, you know, members have been meeting with their, their farmers and ranchers all across the country when they were home during their recess. You've been sending in messages to your staffers you know, writing op-eds, and stressing the importance that this is not a political deal. This is a real-life economic situation that affects, you know, these communities and these farms and these families directly. And I think that really got it over the goal line. And what you're seeing across the board with these members across the country is that they're talking about what matters back home. And I think we're going to see the result of that come to fruition soon. I don't want to downplay the improvements and the updates that are in USMCA over NAFTA, but... When you kind of look at a big picture, it's amazing how big a struggle and how big a challenge it has been throughout this year to basically get something done that keeps what we already had. Well, keep in mind, as you know, number one and number two trading partners, Canada and Mexico, this North American platform has been integrated for decades. So you're right. I think the big thing we see with USMCA is the, the first glimmer of stability in our market. There are incremental changes, and that's good, whether you're in dairy, whether there's some updating in sort of the e-commerce chapters and more. But now we need to get back to working with those number two, number one and number two trading partners pretty rapidly and get this deal behind us. I've often cringed. I know many others have throughout the year when the president would talk about how bad NAFTA is. Uh, I, I kept one, always wanted to say, but it's been pretty good for agriculture, and but there was always that concern that uh, if USMCA didn't pass, that uh, we might actually pull out of NAFTA or lose NAFTA. So there was, seemed like there was almost more to, uh, you know, a risk of lo- what we could lose, even more than the the potential of what we could gain. Well, I think you're absolutely right about that, Mike. And keep in mind, without NAFTA, we would go back to the 90s where we would see tariffs on U.S. agriculture exports that would be reimposed. Those could be between 15 and 70 percent. Those are big numbers. So, yes, you know, agriculture has benefited significantly from NAFTA. Um, and moving forward, I think we have an opportunity to not only move into NAFTA, but perhaps you know, regain some of our footing into the TPP and some of these other markets that we've been hoping to open up over the last year. So the Senate will probably vote on USMCA in January. I've, I've seen some comments from a few senators expressing some concerns. Do uh, you think there's any problems in the Senate as far as getting it passed? Are there, are there the votes there? I think we feel that the Senate's going to be in good shape, but this is not any time to take things for granted. I think you know, picking up the phone just as you have been in terms of talking to our representatives in the House I think it's very important that we continue to to speak with our senators, stress the urgency, get this thing done um, as soon as possible. We're talking with Angela Hoffman, co-director for Farmers for Free Trade, and uh, Farmers for Free Trade has been uh, 
canvassing the country this year, pushing for passage of USMCA. So we're, we're getting close to that. It looks like we're also getting close to at least a phase one deal with China. We heard earlier from the senior vice president of the U.S.-China Business Council, who kind of gave us some of the uh, what looks like the framework of the deal. Um, but we're still waiting for some details, aren't we? Well, the devil is always in the details, and in this case, you know, we've heard some inklings of ag purchases, but we don't know those quantities and amounts. And the big outstanding issue is that there are still a number of tariffs, both on the you know list leading up into September, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of tariffs on both imports into the U.S. and those exports to China too. So, what we really want to do is see those details, make sure those tariffs are eliminated as well. Only then will farmers really realize. The benefits of a phase one. And there'll be the big issue because of past history and past uh, uh, actions or inactions on the part of China to make sure that they live up to whatever's agreed to in the deal. That's right. I mean, enforcement will be a huge part of this, and working with China on a commercial basis moving forward certainly will come with an expectation of accountability and that they'll adhere to whatever they agree in our next of this deal. But if we wind up here very soon with a Japan deal, USMCA, and a China deal, that will that will be, uh, wow, that will be quite an accomplishment. What will your focus be then in 2020? Well, now that we've got sort of the big deals over the goal line, let's, let's talk about USMCA. And I'm saying that optimistically because I'm really hoping for our holiday that's going to happen. Um, we do have an opportunity to keep opening up new markets. We've talked about Japan, but we need to get to a phase two on Japan. That's equally important for some of those sanitary, phytosanitary barriers that have kept us out of the market for a long time. We've got an opportunity to, you know, work with Europe and some of our other new potential markets. We've got a lot of product to sell, uh, and we want to keep moving into offense. I think the one other area we'll probably see is some work around the WTO and making sure that sort of the rules and the regulations are enforced, and we've got a We've got a governing body, and I know it's pretty wonky, but it's going to be important for, for farmers to be part of this. Make sure that we have a, a governing body that allows us to resolve our disputes and, and make sure that everyone is playing by the rules of the road. You mentioned Europe, depending on how this Brexit situation plays out, but there is right now kind of a, a glimmer of hope that maybe we can get something done there. We'd sure like to see a deal done with Europe. Keep in mind, when the talk first started, agriculture was not at the table, and it was not in the deal. And, you know, again, this is an important part of being involved in trade negotiations because any deal with Europe, of course, must involve um, agriculture and resolving some of these very long-standing regulatory issues. We're reminded that trade is ongoing, an ongoing issue. You can, as you said earlier, you cannot let your guard down because something is always coming up, and there's always something that needs to be worked on, and uh, it seems like fires to be put out. So uh, it's not like you can just uh, sit back and say, oh, it's all taken care of. There's always more to do. Well, and I think the biggest lesson learned over the course of the last decade is we kind of stopped talking about trade, and we assumed and took it for granted that it was working for agriculture and that our members of Congress knew about that and that our state and local officials knew about it, and they didn't. And over the course of the past two years, has really been a wonderful opportunity to have those conversations, have them back home, make it personal, but stay involved in the process. So we're not finding ourselves, you know, a couple of years down the road saying, what happened to trade again? What we are doing is making trade work for agriculture. 
And I think going forward, what we'll be watching, the good side, the bad side of all this, uh, the good side, maybe we worked even harder to develop some other markets. Uh, the downside might be, have have we changed global trading patterns or forced uh, some of our trading partners to look elsewhere and created opportunities for competitors? So that's something we'll have to watch as well. Time will tell. Time will tell, but that also is why time is of the essence right now to get some of these deals done, particularly with China, before the world stage is sort of reset. Angela, you mentioned this earlier, and I want to I want to make the point again. Um, farmers, agriculture got engaged in this issue, especially with USMCA throughout the course of the year, and worked with some other groups as well, so formed some alliances. I think that's an important piece here. It's something that very positive that came out of what went on this year. Oh, without a doubt, and I think we saw just a fantastic coalition come together with farmers, with manufacturers, for those who are in the supply chain or moving our product across the country and around the world, um, with those who are secondary and tertiary industries, with bankers. Um, frankly, it was a conversation that should have been happening, and I, again, hope we're going to continue to have those conversations, whether it's in the coffee shop, whether it's, you know, on the street with a colleague, have those conversations about making trade relevant across the community. Yeah, sometimes we hear members of Congress say, well, we're not hearing from farmers on whatever the particular issue might be. But I think they heard from farmers on this one. They, they sure did. And, again, in a very constructive manner. And I think that's why you're seeing so many of these members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. Keeping in mind, we have so many new members who will be taking the trade vote for the very first time. And it was important to hear firsthand why these trade issues matter to their constituents while they were home in their backyard having a conversation. So I, I think the way it was done, very respectful, very informative, and personal. All right, Angela, we'll wait now for the votes. Thank you very much. Good to talk with you again. Thank you so much. All right, take care. That's Angela Hoffman, co-director of Farmers for Free Trade, as we wait for the votes to happen on USMCA and hopefully uh, – get more details soon on that uh, phase one deal with China. So lots of news going on. Spending bill getting looks like it's about to get voted on as well as the trade deals. How will the markets react to all this? We'll talk with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the markets have a lot to look at. Matt Bennett joins us now with agmarket.net. Matt, I've been saying that uh, 2019, at least on the trade front, looks to be ending a whole lot better than it uh, started or, or has been throughout most of the year. Some real positives with USMCA and China, and we already had the Japan deal. How do the markets react to all this? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think we probably uh, talked a couple, three weeks ago. I said that I was hoping that the Bears uh, got Thanksgiving, the Bulls would get Christmas, and that's kind of what we're seeing play out, and a lot of it has to do with trade. Uh, no question that there's a lot of excitement surrounding the uh, USMCA and especially the U.S.-Chinese trade deal. Now, I think there's still a lot of skepticism as to, uh, you know, are they really going to be able to purchase $40 billion worth of ag goods and what's that going to entail? The nice thing, I guess, for me in looking at what the Chinese said, you know, is that um, corn and wheat were going to be a couple of things that they're going to be targeting. And so, you know, looking at the corn balance sheet, considering I already feel like maybe the USDA is a little light on uh, usage, I think you could uh, really tighten up the old crop situation significantly if the Chinese do step in and start buying corn. Yeah, sales aren't sales till they're actually made and delivered, and uh, we we haven't seen that yet. But it sure changes the uh, psychology of everything, doesn't it? The outlook. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no question that it uh, you know it makes someone who's uh, you know, for instance, a fund wanting to be a. Uh, uh, potentially bearish a market that looks like it's going to be dead. You know, it makes them uh, think twice, you know, whenever you start talking about Chinese purchases. Uh, you know, you look at the, the bean situation, obviously uh, uh, we're less than a, a half of what the original billion bushel uh, carryover, you know, uh, was projected to be just several months ago. Uh, you know, and so now you're at 475. Well, you know, what if that gets down to uh, uh, to 250? You know, if they come in and buy a couple hundred million bushels of soybeans, which is, a, you know, a distinct possibility in this situation. And then on corn, you know, you, you could be looking at uh, anywhere from 200 to 300 million bushels, uh, according to a lot of proje- projections, which, uh, you know, gets you closer to that one and a half level, maybe even below it. If if my uh, usage, uh, you know, I guess implications uh, prove to be correct. But until they rebuild the swine herd in China, isn't that going to uh, lower the demand for their soybean purchases? Yeah, there's no question. You know, I, you got to ask yourself though. You know, if the Chinese feel that beans are cheap. Uh, are they going to stockpile some soybeans, you know? And, and so uh, there's no question that uh, it dampens the enthusiasm of uh, your demand being anything like it was previously. But uh, certainly uh, we've taken a huge step back in uh, exports to China of soybeans, uh, you know, and, and so if we could improve that a little bit here in this next marketing year, the marketing year we're in currently, you know, it's certainly going to be a real boon for us. I would think right off the bat, uh, the big jumps would be for meat exports into China and also, I think, the potential for ethanol sales. Yeah, absolutely. Corn and ethanol, you know, they're in there asking about ethanol this morning, you know, according to a couple of the wires that I read. And so, you know, I think that uh, we all know that uh, the Chinese need to improve their air quality in their urban areas. There's no question they've got some real issues there. And so ethanol would be, a, you know, one way that they could certainly uh, start to improve that. But there's no question whatsoever that they're going to have to have a fair amount of protein injected into the, uh, into China. I mean, considering the fact that you really dropped, uh, you know, the amount of pork that they have available for their people, you know, and that's what they've grown accustomed to eating. And so, you know, not only are they eating a lot more pork than what they did 20, 30 years ago, but in the last five, six years, they've really up their beef consumption. And, and that's real excitement. Uh, for me as well, and it's kind of helped this uh, uh, cattle market to actually push through some uh, resistance that we thought maybe uh, was going to turn the market back uh, the other way. So do you think we see the markets trying to pry some grain away from uh, farmers that have it in storage right now? 
Well, the interesting thing, Mike, is that you come in here yesterday and the market was uh, sharply higher. And uh, the basis levels that I monitor, I didn't see any basis weakening. So, yeah, I don't know if, uh, you know, you are coming into the holidays. A lot of times grain doesn't move as, uh, as rapidly. And, uh, you know, a lot of your uh, processors are actually going to give a little bit of a premium between Christmas and New Year's just so they can keep uh, supply coming their way. But, yeah, I do think they're going to try to pry this out of the farmer's hand. But I think the farmer at this point probably dug their heels in just a little bit, seeing what's going on with the U.S. and China. And, uh, you know, having the, you know, the first round and then the second round of those MFP payments certainly has given them a little more leverage, uh, a little more leeway to be able to, you know, maybe uh, hold out just a little bit longer. And then we'll get into the uh, the annual bat, uh, interesting question of uh, acres and what will the market be buying? Yeah, that's a great question, too. And so, you know, obviously, if you start to really pull down your carryout levels, it's going to help your uh, old crop uh, versus your new crop. There's no question that your new crop won't follow along as much. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if you rally the corn market 20 or 30 cents and even get a nickel to a dime out of new crop, you really need to be taking a very close look at that on corn. 965 and three quarters, 965, you know, on uh, uh, no 20 beans for me, boy, that's an area that we need to be looking at pretty closely as well. So I think the main thing is if you can lock in profit levels early in the year and then, uh, you know, gives you some flexibility to defend your position later on. I think that's something you need to really be looking at closely. Even after the tough tough year of 2019 these developments here at the end of the year i think will set a little different tone over the winter in our meetings and our discussions as we look ahead to spring of next year yeah i agree uh, first of all and then second of all you know uh, your area my area most of our areas in the i states and in nebraska there was a lot of fall work that got done this year that did mm-hmm. not get done last year and so we're going into the winter time frame feeling just a little bit better about our prospects agronomically for the spring and so so that coupled with what's going on in the trade world uh, certainly makes us feel just a little bit better uh, heading into next year so yeah i want to definitely pay attention to the agronomic part of this and, and the last thing uh, mike we got to pay attention to fertilizer fertilizer prices are cheap uh, and there's no question in my mind that that's something we need to be looking towards locking in, especially with the recent rally in the corn market. All right, Matt, thanks a lot. Good to have some positive news to talk about for a change. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for being with us. Yep. Same to you, bud. Thanks for having me. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Lots going on. It's a busy, busy week. Tomorrow we'll take a look at the the spending uh, package that they've agreed on. It looks like a congressional agreement to fund the government would include tax extenders for biodiesel. We'll be talking with the National Biodiesel Board about that. And where are we on this RFS situation? Still waiting for an announcement. We'll get the latest on that as well. Hope you'll join us tomorrow here on AOA. AOA.